0: HCIC Next is a podcast focusing on how digital leaders are reshaping marketing in the healthcare industry. This podcast series shares information about the innovations that are happening today in digital marketing and helps you understand just how to apply what has worked in other healthcare systems across the country to your very own organization. This episode you're about to hear was originally captured at the 2019 Healthcare Internet Conference in Orlando, Florida. And this session is actually titled, Your Website Is Not Your Digital Front Door, How to Prepare for Discovery in a Voice-First Landscape. You'll hear from Carrie Lyken, head of healthcare over at Yext. Let's tune in and uh, see what she has to say.
1: Good afternoon, everyone. I am Carrie and I'm the Head of Industry for Healthcare at Yext. For those of you who don't know what Yext is, we're a patient experience platform. We basically help organizations take all of the information and data that people could be or would be searching for with respect to their healthcare, and we're surfacing it up to all of the places where they are doing that searching. So anywhere from Alexa, which is what we're sort of going to be talking about a little bit today, but also on Google as well as on websites. So we just make sure that we ensure that excellent patient experience no matter what because you as the organization are controlling the data and you're sending it through our platform to all of these places where they surface. So what we're going to talk about today is how to learn how to think about your digital presence differently as well as taking data points on how patients and consumers are finding health information online. And then these last two bullet points, tips on how to build your site so that you can maximize for discoverability as well as for, uh, for voice most specifically. So those screenless devices. What I'd like to talk to you about today too is the evolution of consumer search. I have met a number of you. I recognize some familiar faces here. So you may have seen this slide before. But this slide is all about the evolution of consumer search from 1998 through today and how Google has changed the game as it relates to how they serve up answers when people are asking questions. So in 1998, people would go to Google and look for information and try to understand, I have a question. I have a need. I need to go to this new search engine. But what do I type into the search box to actually get there? And so, I don't know if you remember doing this 20 years ago, but I remember even pre-Google using search engines and trying to figure out how to find information. And it was really interesting because you would type in something and look at the blue links and realize that's not quite exactly what I was looking for. So maybe you would go back to search and you would do that search again, and then you'd look at the blue links again. Generally speaking, we were being trained to search. So now when we go to Google, it's very easy to find the information that we need. As the years went on, Google launched their Knowledge Graph in 2012. And I was at Google when they launched the Knowledge Graph. And that was basically a connectivity point of all of these different relationships. So knowing that if you were searching for one thing, and let's say you were looking for a doctor in Portland, Oregon, who specializes in orthopedic surgery, Google was then able to start to link together doctor Portland, which is location, and the type of surgery that this doctor performs. So starting to be able to connect the dots there. And as Google kept on going through today, you can actually start to ask questions and receive real answers back. So you no longer are receiving a full page of blue links anymore, you're now starting to get legitimate answers. I didn't know at the time, and I feel like I talk about this all the time, but when I was there, Google was structuring their data in such a way to surface the information because it was in anticipation of a screenless device, of a voice device. The only way these voice devices are able to call upon information is through a structured data set. So if you ask now, I don't know if you can see this, but if you ask Google, how high is Mount Everest? If you ask it on Google on a desktop, you ask it on a mobile device, or you ask Google Home you should get the same answer, 29,029 feet. You don't have to click on a blue link anymore to get that answer. So the shift has moved from the blue links all the way to providing answers. And now with the new BERT algorithm that just came out, uh, the algorithmic update that came out about a week or a week and a half ago, the understanding of natural language and natural language processing and understanding things like, uh, I'm looking for a pharmacist, or sorry, I'm looking for a pharmacy where I can fill a prescription for my friend It's no longer giving a result anymore just about pharmacies near me or just how to find pharmacies. It's actually saying, here's how friends and families can, or family members can, fulfill a prescription for you. So Google is now even able to better understand exactly what we're looking for. So we moved in 20 years from blue links all the way up over to answers, and in doing so, we're trying to figure out, okay, how do you optimize for this new world? How do you get to surface your information in a way where there are so many answers? And then also, how do you make sure your information is in front of people on these screenless devices? We also know that patient search behavior has also changed. So whenever I was at Google, we used all of these internal tools to try to understand what was going on with the patient search behavior and the evolution of it as well. and. This tool called Wildcat was a fascinating tool. It was a great tool that we used where you could run search queries and understand globally what people were searching for. And in 2007, when I was there, people were searching for, in healthcare, doctor, orthopedist, cardiologist. But as, as time went on, and after eight and a half years of being there, we started to see this, again, change in how people were looking for information. So it was cardiologist near me cardiologist near me who accepts blue cross. And when we think about these questions that people are are now asking, they're very complex and they're very intent based. So how do you how do you better serve up information that's actually answering the questions that people want to know? because their journey is all about trying to find information. When you find that information, you're looking, you're searching, you're looking at more information, you're searching again, you're refining, you're refining, you're refining, and then you're finally making an action, taking an action, and perhaps making an appointment. So the patient journey starting with a question is a really interesting concept because we've moved from just typing in a keyword or two to long questions that people are asking. And if the patient journey starts with a question, if you don't answer it, Then someone else will. And with that evolution of search that I talked about before, the fascinating thing about it was that Google taught us how to search from 1998 to today. But then once Siri was uh, accompanying the iPhone, and then Alexa proliferated all of these different households, 75% of voice uh, in households are Alexas. Once we started to get more voice devices in households and on our mobile devices, questions started to become more conversational. So yet again, we were being taught to search differently. And so it's really important to be thinking about how do I surface up my information that tends to live on my website, how do I surface that information to places wherever people are searching, not just on a website thinking and assuming that people are coming just to the website to find it. So what are some examples of questions people could be asking? So some examples of people uh, asking questions, this is actual data from our customers and the information that we're able to glean from Google Analytics, from AdWords, search queries as well as from Yux as well. So who is a top rated neurologist near me? Where can I get a mammogram near me? Doctors who specialize in peripheral neuropathy. Who are doctors who specialize in gastric sleeve surgery? And what insurance does and I filled in here XYZ hospital because I don't wanna give away anybody's search data, but you can just insert any hospital there and it would probably be one because this insurance question is quite popular. What we also notice here is the total number of words in this particular search query. So we see the first one has eight words, the second one has eight words, the third one has six words, this one has nine words, and this final one has six words. You notice it's not just orthopedist anymore or neuropathologist, or insurance. It's an actual question. Somebody's looking for information, and it led to traffic to a website, which is great, because in leading to that traffic to the website, hopefully, I mean, my whole goal for the last 15 years, because it's been digital, um, I've been digital in focus, my whole goal is to figure out how can we get more people from online mechanisms to your own properties. Because if you can get people to your own properties, you can own that experience. And when you own that experience, you can hopefully more quickly convert them. If you leave it up to other places along the internet and the internet ecosystem, you lose control of that experience and potentially of that patient. So if you can start to answer these questions on whatever device, somebody might be asking it, then you have much more opportunity of bringing people to you, owning the experience, and hopefully driving a conversion. What we also found from our data is that when you take a look at search terms, and you take a look and you actually look at the count of all of the searches that have taken place over the last 12 months, take a look at every single search query that has happened over the course of those 12 months, and then you parse it out, 80% of those search queries are three words more or longer. 80%. This is for healthcare only. So when you take a look at these questions that people are asking now, and you see, wow, six, eight, nine, six, six, you're looking at all the words that are comprising these searches. You take a look at this data where we were able to analyze all of our healthcare customer data to understand how many of these search queries were more than three words long. It's no longer Dr. Near Me, three words. It is doctor near me who specializes in eczema who uh, accepts Blue Cross. It's a much more complex, not necessarily like, who is a doctor near me who specializes in eczema? But it's it's an intent that somebody is saying, I'm raising my hand, I'm looking for this type of doctor that treats this type of condition, that accepts this type of insurance, I'm ready to convert. And so they're trying to ask this question across all of these different channels. It's not just on your website, and it's not just on Google. It's on a lot of different places. So I wanted to take a look at where did these live. So these searches live on Alexa. They live on Google Home. They live on Siri. They also live on search engines. They, they live on find a provider, find a location, on websites. And they also live on site search. They're probably living on other places as well. This is just more of a a, a consolidated slide of where information lives, where people are actually typing these questions in. How many of you know the questions people are asking about your health system today? Have you looked at them at all? I'm seeing some head nods, not really. Okay, good, so we're gonna talk a little bit about that. But before we get there, I also want to talk about how the channels of engagement are shifting as well. So why would we even be talking about voice and screenless devices anyway? Every time I turn around, and I've been to, I literally think the last count was like 349 health systems in the last two and a half years or so. So I want to go visit one more so I can hit 350. So one of you... <laughs> But it's like I'm on the road quite a bit and I hear the same things over and over and over again. And I can hear things where, things where organizations are being really innovative and I can hear where organizations aren't being so innovative, but I also hear a lot of trends. And one of the big things that I had been hearing for a really long time is website, 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 website. It's the only thing. It's the only thing we're focusing on and it's our digital front door. And I feel like the digital front door concept has been talked about I mean, if somebody says that the digital front door is a website, like let's have a conversation because that's not the digital front door anymore. There are lots of front doors all over the internet now. And what we're seeing here is that the website used to be a primary place for people to find information about about you or about a brand. And discovery engines, like let's say Google Maps or Apple Maps or Facebook, that used to comprise a tiny bit of where people were finding information as well. As time went on, more searches were happening, but we're starting to see that fewer people, they're still going there, but fewer people are going to the website, more people are going to discovery engines, there's more volume of searching happening, but then we're also seeing other technologies allow for the ability to search as well. So it wasn't until five plus-ish years ago where we had a computer in our pocket, literally everyone had a computer in our pocket, so we could pull that mobile device out of our pocket and search for things anytime we needed information. But now what we're seeing is that the website is a piece of the search, discovery engines are a piece of the search, messaging platforms are a piece of the search, and voice devices are a piece of the search. So not only are there more devices where people are engaging with you, but they're doing it more. So that's why we see that this graph is going up and to the right. So there are a lot of places where you have to start thinking about, geez, I need to get this information not just on my website, but I need to take the information that's on my website and share it with the world on all of these different technologies because people are asking for and wanting the information to be accessible on those places. And because we're at HCIC, I pulled a gray stone Stat, this was from the marketing study that came out in January. I think it's the fourth annual. About 50% of those who were surveyed said that they're working on a website redesign in the next 12 months. How many of you are getting ready for a website redesign? I would say that's probably 50% of this room. So, I'm glad you're here because we could talk a little bit about what you need to do specifically for your website to be able to be discoverable on all of these different channels that we just talked about. That's a lot that's a lot of redesigning uh, happening. So, how can you plan for the changes in the patient discovery and make sure that you can deliver the answers to the questions that people are asking across all of these different technologies? This is where Courtney was going to talk, so I'm going <laughs> to read some things here. So, Courtney wanted to take you through uh, three things that she talks about. She actually talks about this in lots of different places, not just for healthcare marketers, but she does this across the board for, for content developers uh, at non healthcare conferences as well. So she's really an expert in this stuff. So I feel like um, I'm not going to do her justice, but I hope I do her justice. So she talks about three things she talks about research, content, and local. So let's talk first about the research. A lot of marketers think that research is something that's needed in order to go forward with a strategy, but in her eyes, she sees that research is not necessarily always taken into full account when trying to execute on these types of strategies. It's talked about, but it's not actually executed on. So when we think about discoverability for voice devices. We're not thinking about, and I want to make sure that we're uh, separating this, we're not thinking about creating an Alexa skill or a Google action. I I have a whole webinar and I have a V2 webinar coming out on what to do about voice in healthcare specifically. We'll talk about that offline. What I'm talking about here is people don't necessarily know how to activate a skill to find information that they need or even activate an action. You don't really have to activate an action on Google Home to find the information that they need. They're just asking questions. The consumer journey has changed. People are asking questions everywhere. They're doing it on their iPhones. They're doing it on Siri. And now they're doing it on Alexa. So when we think about how do you get your content to be the response, that first, sometimes there's only one chance of actually being that response that Alexa brings back to you or that Google says back to you. So what do you need to do to have what she calls instant answers? So the first thing you need to think about is think about what your patients and consumers actually desire. What is it that they're looking for? Raise your hand if you know what your patients or consumers want from you today. Oh my goodness, wow. That's really telling, that's really interesting. I know that that was a really broad question, but it was also intentional. Because when we think about what do patients really want, when you're able to drill down and take a look at some different data points, which she lists here, when you take a look at the different data points, you can see that there's actually a lot of research that has to go into trying to figure out what is it that patients really want. A lot of times website development gets into this whole political, which I understand, and it's really hard to get around it, but this whole political mess of here's how I need to provide this information. Oh, this person needs to get involved. We need our US News badge on here. We need to, we need to make sure that we have all of these rotating uh, you know, uh, carousels of all of the great care, which you're doing great care, it's true. But at the end of the day, people are only looking for a couple of things. And they're asking questions not always on the website, but they're asking questions on all of these different platforms. So you wanna raise your content up. And so how do you know what content to even prioritize to work on first if you don't even know what people are asking of today? So she talks about good audience research. How do you do good audience research? So you can interview teams, can do market research studies, ethnographic research, and then review analytics. And if Court were here, she would tell you about all of the different ways that she's actually able to do this. I can tell you for a fact that even when you, if you say, oh geez, I don't even even know where to start, how am I going to collect all of this information? But even if you were to just review analytics to start, that is one place where you can find intent, you can find the questions people are asking, and you could start to prioritize what those different things people are wanting to know about you so you can start to identify what you need to work on first. And I can tell you for a fact, after looking at a lot of our customer organizational data that we see from Google Analytics, from AdWords search query terms, from YX Analytics, from others, and even analytics that they provide us, it's things like, how do I pay my bill? What insurances do you accept? A lot of searches are doctors as well, like just doctors, searches, and there are all those complex questions around doctors. It's not all that complicated and a lot of people think that they need to build out these huge content libraries and make sure that all of this information is living on the website in addition to some of these other elements. And in reality, if you want to surface for things that people are asking for, you have to know what people are asking for, do the research, take a look at the analytics and you'll see that you'll see some pretty common themes. We were even looking at some uh, primary care data for one of our customers, and the interesting thing is, primary care, out of everything that people search for, primary care is probably the simplest. It's usually just primary care location, primary care brand location, or brand primary care location, like it's very, very easy. So how do you think about how you would optimize primary care in the context of how people would be searching for things? Just take a look at the analytics and then start to build a strategy around that. But then Core takes it a little bit further, where she also says, you know what another thing you need to do is you need to talk to practice managers. Ask about what those people are getting frequently asked for on a regular basis. So what are they getting phone calls for? My husband is a doctor. He has somebody who works the front front desk of his clinic. And there are very common questions that, her name is Princess, that Princess gets asked every single time she's checking in patients and checking out patients. So how do you say, all right, if you're getting these, how do I categorize them? Then how do I start to build content around that that then can be surfaced? So how do you know, based on interviews, it's just interviews with practice managers. How do you interview doctors? What are some of the key questions that orthopedic surgeons are getting? Those are ways of starting to collect information as well. Obviously you have to think about who do you have on your team who can do this. So the first step might be review your analytics and all of the analytics data you have so you can start to parse out key themes. And then once you start doing that, then start to do some of the interviews. Then start to dive a little bit deeper. Then do the surveys. Don't let it stop you because patients are still going to be asking uh, questions and wanting to get the answers. But as you're collecting the data, you can start to take a very strategic approach to actually getting that information so you can prioritize that. And then what you want to think about once you start collecting that is, what does Google reward? So the second most, she says, that the second most and the most important piece to understand is what does Google reward? So if you want to have one of those instant answers, how many of you know what this snippet is? When, when you are searching for something and you see that box, not the knowledge card on the right-hand side of Google, but that box that comes up, it's called a snippet. You all know that? Okay, so she calls it an instant answer. It's an instant answer because the snippet comes up on the desktop, but also if you're asking Google or Google Assistant, you also will likely, not guaranteed, but you likely will get read back that same snippet. So know what Google rewards. So what does Google reward? Google rewards information that you can gather from doing competitive research, keyword by keyword analysis, and competitor site audits. Google rewards things like these rich snippets that are one to three sentences long, bulleted lists of things, numbered lists of things, and then generally just really concise information that if you know what the question has been asked and you're seeing that question over and over again, if you're able to give a really concise answer to that and then you put it onto your site and then you schema tag it, you have more of a likelihood of actually getting surfaced into that rich snippet. So how do you find that? You take a look at what's going on with your competitors, which I'll show you what she did, which I think is really interesting, but also do competitor site audits to see what are people doing based on what you've identified of all of the questions that people are asking. You've taken a look at the site analytics. You've maybe done some interviews. Say, I'm starting with insurance. I'm starting with maybe providers and specialties, whatever it might be. Once you do that, then take a look at how your competitors are showing on Google, do they have any rich snippets? Do they have any bullets that come up whenever, like for example, I uh, have a Google Home in my kitchen, which is, I live in a thousand square foot condo, so it's tiny, and I have a Google Home in my kitchen, which is also my living room, which is also my dining room, and so I'll be standing there and I'll be cooking, and I can't remember how to cook quinoa ever. So I'll just ask Google to, to give me the instructions to cook quinoa and it's a one, two, three. You know, two cups of water, one cup of quinoa, whatever, 20 minutes, or whatever it is. That's a list, it's a recipe, it's a list. So you wanna think about for those different elements that you've collected, how do you build all of this together so that you can create those bullets and create those lists and create those uh, rich snippets. The other thing that she recommends, and I recommend this too, is for the competitor site audit, yes, look at your competitors. Look at your healthcare competitors, but also look at who you think is doing things well in healthcare as well as outside of healthcare. Look at Amazon. What is Amazon doing right? What is Amazon not doing so well? Look at Home Depot. Look at Zillow. Look at organizations where it's not healthcare, but there are different ways that they're going about providing this information to people on their site, but then also, if you were to search for red shoes, near me, whatever a complex search might be, do they also offer a snippet? What is it that they've done on their site? Do the competitive analysis for healthcare and for non-healthcare, see what you like and see what you don't like, and then move on from there. So what she also says is, scale your research. So you're probably thinking, great, now you've told me that I have to look at all my analytics and then I have to do these surveys and I have to talk to my practice managers and I have to do all these different things. I have a day job, by the way, so what am I going to do to actually get that done when also I need to relaunch my website and make sure it's voice ready or screen, screen free? You wanna scale this as well. So pick a couple of themes, and when you pick those few themes, just start with those. Don't try to bite off the entire elephant and chew it and eat it up. Just take off a little piece. But she also uh, said to think about the different tools that you can use to better understand where there are answers out there. So these tools could be things like, this is where I'm gonna read it, because when she was texting it to me today, I was like, oh, I wish you were here. Ninja tools. It's a featured snippet optimization tool. It scrapes all of the results. So I guess what you do is you go into Ninja Tools, and apparently it's a free tool, if I'm not mistaken, if she told me correctly. Go into the free tool, you type in all of the different things that you would likely be searching for, and you want to see are there snippets, and if so, scrape them. Take a look at what those snippets are, so you can analyze what this snippet actually looks like. Is it one sentence? Is it two sentences? Is it three sentences? Usually Google only rewards up to three sentences. She also recommends Rank Ranger, which is the same as Ninja Tools. And then she recommends some SEO tools like Screaming Frog. Who names these companies, by the way? This is pretty funny. Screaming Frog, she said it's far more technical, but also a good SEO tool to use if you wanna start looking at different rankings as well as the the snippets themselves. But then also think about are there ways, once you start getting this information, so uh, as an example, what insurance do you accept? Can you place that insurance information on your site in a bulleted list? When it's bulleted, then you have more of an opportunity of returning a bullet back onto Google. So think about the structure of the information that you're putting onto the site as much as the content that you're putting onto the site. And that leads us to content. So what do you need to do to understand, now that you know the data and you know what Google rewards, then how do you understand the content that you need to start to develop based on the data that you've collected? This is where I think it's really interesting because this gets to not just the scalability, but it gets to maybe it's a little bit more manageable. So what Cork did for childrens.com was she said, we had all of this research and we took a look at all of this information to try to identify where are we seeing key themes. And what she found is that there were four buckets. Those buckets were symptoms, conditions, physicians, and specialties. So what she wanted to do was make sure that she had content for symptoms, content for conditions, content for physicians, and content for specialties to start. She didn't do anything else with the website. It was just those four. And those are pretty daunting when you think about all the symptoms, all the conditions they treat, all of these different elements. They're a Children's Hospital. But what she was then able to do is say, okay, if these have a similar approach, then how do I basically templatize my approach to ensure that I can structure the pages in such a way that they'll return information to not only a searcher on a desktop, but then a searcher on Google Home or Siri or Alexa, because they're structured in a way that they're starting to get algorithmically um, uh, reviewed. So this is an example of how she built a template. And of course, she would talk about this if she were here. So if you have questions about this, again, happy to try to answer them, but this will be for court. So this is an example of her website of the pediatric low blood pressure hypertension uh, condition. And what she did was she took a look at all of the information that people were looking at specific to pediatric low blood pressure. And as you can see here, I think there's another, yeah, here we go. What she was able to do is she was able to say we're going to structure our page in such a way where we have a question and we have an answer. And in the question, it's one of the top questions that they were asked is what is pediatric low blood pressure? And you can see here that there's literally probably three sentences answering that question. Having that and then having it schema tagged on the back end, having that information just allows them to better contend with the other competitive uh, SEO out there to surface information when somebody asks Google Home, for example, what is pediatric low blood pressure in Dallas? They're in Dallas. So they would be asking it, and hopefully then, Google would actually say, you know, normal blood pressure is between whatever this is. She was also able to then put in additional questions. And if you can see here, what she also did was she created the question and simple answer and down here you can see, created the question with bullet, a bulleted list. So if somebody asked a question on a mobile device or on Siri or on Google, what are the signs and symptoms of pediatric low blood pressure hypotension, bull, that bulleted list would come up. So she varied it. This was crucial, and I'll show you some of the results in a bit, but this is crucial. So she did this not only just for pediatric low blood pressure, but she did it for symptoms, conditions, physicians, and locations. So she did it across the board. What was fascinating about it was that she actually saw some really good, um, really good results. And what she wanted to make sure to share here is that if you can mimic what those snippets are on Google, put it on your site and on your pages, and then also include some of these, like I said before, some of these other lists and, and bullet points, you have a greater chance if you schema tag, but you have a greater chance of actually surfacing that information. So make sure you're actually doing that. And It was also done on specialties and programs pages as well and on physician pages. So she was basically able to take an entirely new approach to designing the website in a way that basically was mimicking Google and taking the questions that people were asking and then trying to optimize the site, not so that it's basically just an online brochure anymore, but it's a living, breathing, question answering machine that can be surfaced, that info can be surfaced on any type of technology, and she could prepare it to then move into the next digital age. So finally, I feel like I'm talking really quickly, but this is good. So finally, uh, her third bullet point here is to make sure that local is another component of surfaceability, and ensuring that if you have, especially if you're screen-free, you can focus on Surfacing things in a local sense, because more and more people are searching. If the patient journey starts with a question, that question surely is now starting to have some sort of local-based need associated with it. And what we also know is that when somebody's asking a question on a voice device like Google Home, they're three times as likely to have local intent. And if that's the case, then how do you make sure that you're actually surfacing that information because somebody's looking for a dentist down the street, or a surgeon you know, at the closest hospital, they're not necessarily looking for, let's say you're based, in, uh, you're based in Philadelphia, they're not looking for somebody who's based in Chicago. Not likely. The other thing, too, to remember is that people are searching for healthcare on voice devices. And when they're searching for healthcare on these voice devices, it's not as though, I mean, this seems like a small number, so 10% of healthcare searches in the last 10, uh, last 12 months have been on a voice device. That's all voice devices. 15% of those searches in the last 12 months have been on Alexa specifically, and I believe that that's because there are more Alexas in the home than, than Google Homes. But this was data from a year and a half ago. So the fact that this is here, and I just saw an announcement recently that I think... Uh, Google Alexa, or, uh, if you Google Minis are on sale for nine dollars, and Alexa is on sale for ninety cents or something crazy like that. These organizations are trying to force these machines into our lives. Google Voice, Google Assistant is on one billion devices, from your refrigerator to your washing machine to your car to your thermostat. They just bought Fitbit, so you're gonna be like, oh my God, like, let me talk, go-go gadget watch. Like, I'm gonna be uh, just able to talk to everything with my voice, ask questions of it, and so why not ask questions of healthcare? And if the questions of healthcare are more local in intent, then you wanna make sure that you're surfacing that information as well. Now, she wanted to caveat here. Side note, she said. Don't worry so much about the content specifically. So don't worry about building library upon library upon library about. And I hear this too whenever I talk to organizations. They're always asking, "How do I balance between having a health library and just surfacing the information to individuals if they are asking about hypertension?" "Don't worry about building a library," she said. She said Google is basically commoditizing content. So they're finding the content from wherever the information lives. Like WebMD is a great resource for content. Mayo Clinic is a great resource for content. Don't worry about making sure that you have all of the information necessary about every single type of cancer, for example. Just make sure that you're addressing the things that people are actually asking for. So when you think about the content, when you think about the local nature of it, make sure that you're matching the two but you're not building libraries. She also said that it's really important on the local side to ensure that you have really good local optimization. So they have locations at Children's in Texas, but they also have uh, physicians associated with locations, and they also have locations that are associated with other locations. I Means a very complex uh, grouping. There are far more physicians than there are locations, but she said local optimization tools work really well. I typically would not be standing up here saying, use Yext, because that's... What she would do, but um, on, the, on the local side, uh, that is one thing that I would say. I mean, you could use any local optimization tool. Obviously, I'm biased, and a, I'm a really a big fan of our technology, but it also leads to better voice optimization because the voice optimization is taking those local listings and is triggered by the local listing. So if you're asking for, so for example, my husband works at a hospital that doesn't optimize, and so his phone number is Children's Hospital, his address is Boston Medical Center, and his map, or sorry, his map marker is Boston Medical Center, his address is not even a place where he sees patients, and he's not affiliated with any of those organizations. So if I asked my mobile device a Google Assistant to navigate me, or if I asked Android Auto to navigate me, or if I asked my Google Home, it would just be a big old mess. And so you want to make sure that you're surfacing the information, not only for the different pieces of content, but also for uh, voice optimization. A lot of times that information is pulled from those local listings. So where does this information, though, live? What we're starting to see is that a lot of organizations, and Court will talk about would talk about this too. So a lot of organizations say that my data about locations, and my data about providers, and about the specialties, and about the conditions they treat, and about all of their locations that they work out of, and about the places where they were board certified, all of that information tends to live in the CMS. But What we see is that the CMS is basically like the online version of a brochure, CMSs of today. Pages, assets, that was brochure language. And what we're seeing is that the CMS is basically pages and assets. And so it's it's a content management system that manages content that is supposed to be discoverable just on a website. But the information needs to be living and breathing in order to surface on a voice device, in order to surface on all of these other places. So what we are starting to see is that we went from the brochure age, we went through the CMS age, and now we need to think about how do we start to structure our data in a way that focuses on intent. The questions are a signal of intent. The intent is manifested in a search. So you know the intent of what your patients and consumers are looking for because you should be able to find the information that they're searching for through Google Analytics and others. So you need an intent management system in order to be able to surface this information on your website, as well as on a voice device, as well as on Siri, as well as on a mobile device. And we think that we are going to be moving into an age where you're not going to be able to manage manual points anymore. So what I'm going to animate here is how court went through understanding how to move from a CMS to one that it was more of an IMS. So she had a digital strategist who would take 50,000 points of presence, over a thousand doctors and a few dozen locations. And she would have this one person, before she worked with anybody, she would have this one person and this one person would try to manage 50,000 different data points all over the place and then send it to the Googles of the world and to others. And then she was like, well, we can't really do that very well, so let's see if we can build an internal local database that houses all of this information. Because once you can get all of that content in there, you collect the questions, you have the answers to the questions. Where do those live? They have to live in some sort of database. Where do you get all of the bullet lists? They have to live there too. You can't have it live in a boxed-in CMS. You have to have it live somewhere where entities are matched to one another. So let's build an internal local database. So now I'm going to have a manual digital strategist, a digital strategist do manual inputs into that local database and then go ahead and manage the locations and other elements that people and the questions are being asked for. Oh, but hold on a second, because then she said there are more data points, and I have seen this literally everywhere. Every organization I've talked to, people say, well, my information actually doesn't just live with my you know, digital strategist, because that might just be a spreadsheet, but my information about doctors lives with credentialing. It also lives in the EMR. It also lives with some of the manual inputs in a spreadsheet that somebody is working on. So how do I connect the dots there, and I take all of, and that's just a, this is a minimum. This is basically what's happening at Children's Health. How do I pull all of that into a local database? Then how do I pull that from that database and how do I send it out to all of the places where information needs to be surfaced? I know I'm saying surfaced a lot, but it's true, it's surfacing. So then she said, okay, we're pulling all of this information together, but we need to, this is a big theme of what she tried to do, is we need to make this scalable. There's no way we can be doing this manually where we're pulling from credentialing. I'm you know, working on a spreadsheet and we're pulling from the EMR. So what they then did was they built APIs Pulled it into this local database, and then they were starting to do downloads to do updates to places like to places like Yax to their website, for example, to their app, to MyChart. So they're doing all these bulk uploads. So it was still clunky, still really tough, and it's all about efficiency because, especially in healthcare, it's almost virtually impossible to find any free time. So, what did she do? At that point, she said, okay, we're APIing everything. We're pulling everything together into the internal database, then we're APIing into Yext, APIing from Yext into Children's.com, as well as to MyChart and to a wayfinding app, to trying to figure out how to make data flow in a much more consistent and easy way. This was a scalable, much more scalable solution to be able to say, I've got the question. It's about insurance, it's about a doctor, it's about a um, a location. All of that lives somewhere. I'm pulling it all together. Somebody asks the question on one of these devices, that information is pulled via API because it was pinged, pulled into a place where it's surfaced up onto a page or onto Google or onto Amazon, onto Alexa, and that information should be accurate and should be surfaced and didn't need to have any specialness go on with one person trying to plug and play every single thing. There are hundreds of thousands of searches that are taking place for health systems in a given month often. If if you're a smaller organization, let's say a given year, you cannot optimize for everything. So you have to figure out how to get everything pulled together in a way where relationships are built, and then you can pull that data together so that you can start to drive more of that discoverability where people are asking the questions. So finally, just to recap, For children's, it was all about research content and local. So I want to share with you what she would have shared. And I think this is so great, because she worked so hard. And this took a year to do. And what we see here is, in a nutshell, we were able to, or she was able to, go from having one answer snippet, so one answer box on Google, to 231. So somebody would ask a question out of 231 different categories, conditions, physicians, whatever it might be, she now basically was the authority on that. And then 84 different types of conditions would pop up that they were the authority on. What's also interesting is that for the 200 most important conditions, they saw some massive growth, massive improvement in traffic as a result of basically being on position zero on Google, most especially. They tripled their entrance rate from organic. And when we look at our healthcare customers in particular, we, we look at all of our customers, but I only really care about healthcare. Um, when we look at healthcare in particular, we see between four and 10% of traffic coming to websites from AdWords. Yet a ton of attention and energy and budget is spent on AdWords. 50 to 55% of traffic is coming from SEO, from organic. If you could triple your organic traffic, probably at a fraction of what you spend if you spend anything on AdWords, just think about that switch that you could make, that mind switch and how to optimize for organic. It's a better way anyway, because you're not competing on all of these really expensive terms that people aren't ready to necessarily convert on. The long tails where people are converting. So when you think about 3X, that's a pretty nice little jump there. For provider profiles, They also saw a 46% increase in profile entrances for physicians specifically after local optimization. And then for location pages, they saw a 24% increase in organic. So again, if they didn't do this, they have 4,000 pages on their site. On their site specifically, every single page, every single page has some element of content that could show up. On, uh, in some sort of organic-based search, especially if they were asked a question on a Google Home and then hopefully had some sort of snippet associated with it. It would have taken, can you guess how many years it would have taken for them to actually optimize for this? 10 years, no, nope, just four. She calculated that it would take just four. And when we think about the pace of technology and the pace of how things are changing, I know healthcare doesn't move as fast as other uh, verticals and other industries, but technology changes quite a bit. And so when you think about four years, I mean, it's ridiculous. But what she also saw was that Kids Health from Nemours was basically eating their lunch every time when she was doing the competitive research. So she was saying, well, every single time I'm looking for information about a particular condition or a particular symptom, or if I had a patient in Dallas looking for specific information about something that we could provide, Kids Health came up, East Coast, what? Why are they the authority? Why are we not the authority? And it didn't just mean here on this snippet on Google, but it was also on Google Voice, or not Google Voice, on Google Assistant. So what they were able to do is take that four years, work on this over the course of one year, and see all of these fantastic results. And it came all down to understanding the scale, doing the research, reviewing the content, making, making sure that they were able to prioritize the content, and then work on the local. And that's a little bit about how we came into it. So we were able to help them generate a ton of new traffic that could hopefully convert over into uh, real appointments.
0: HCIC Next is made possible by graystone.net, the healthcare internet conference, and Touchpoint Media. To learn more about this show and others like it, visit us online at touchpoint.health.